What's your name? Lally. How old are you? Two. Why is Jesus better than anything? Because he, he made the, the, the dinosaurs in the whole world. Being a kid isn't easy. You know you're supposed to be good, and sometimes you feel like you're doing a great job. But then the next minute, you do something wrong again. That's why we need Jesus and to remember the good news of the gospel every day. Not just the part about when Jesus came to earth, but God's rescue plan from before he even created the world and the hope of living with him forever so that we can see through every story in the Bible why Jesus is better than anything else and why he wants you to join him. You have to tell me what happened to those Israelites away from God's temple and in the special land God promised them. What's God going to do with this mess? I'm glad you're ready to learn today, Finn. And I'm glad you're listening to our episode two, boys and girls. Here are my pictures that I'm gonna take to my other. I'm gonna tape to my other pictures from the Bible in my room. I did these after Brooke went to bed, so they're not as colorful as the other ones. I made lots of crowns because we talked about so many kings, but I colored most of them black because most of the kings worshipped idols and stuff. Is that David with the big red heart around him? Yeah, because even though he sinned, he kept turning back to God and trying to follow God's laws. I see Solomon's golden temple there and that jagged line when the nation of Israel was split between the north and the south. And these arrows showed the northern tribes taken away to Syria and, and then later the southern tribes being captured by the Babylonians. And here's the broken down temple. It's all so sad. It's true, Finn. The presence of God was ripped away when the temple was destroyed. But the Israelites took their scrolls with them and read the law of God over and over in captivity. Though they couldn't offer sacrifices for sin, they stopped worshiping idols while they were in captivity. The prophet Ezekiel was in captivity and dreamed about the temple that once was in Israel. Daniel was a man from Judah who was captured and eventually became a statesman, a leader in Babylon. He was both a statesman and a prophet, and he continued to be in the government when the Persians, another evil nation, conquered Babylon. God wrote on the wall of King Nebuchadnezzar and predicted the fall of Babylon. The Persians then came in and defeated Babylon overnight. Wow, and I bet Guy was the one who let it all happen this way. He could have kept the Israelites from being captured, but they just kept turning from him. Yeah, when Cyrus became the ruler of Persia, he acknowledged the Lord God of heaven and obeyed God's command to build a temple in Jerusalem. 
So a group of exiles returned to Jerusalem and got to work. What's an exile? Well, they're people who have been kept out of their home country. Now they finally get to go home, but a lot of things needed to be rebuilt. A man named Zerubbabel was sent to rebuild the temple during that time. Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the people, and 50,000 Israelites returned. But the people met with opposition, and it took a total of 22 years to complete the temple. And I thought working on my solar system project for two months was a long time. The temple wasn't as amazing as Solomon's temple, but the Israelites could now sacrifice offerings to God. Between the time of the first and second returns to Jerusalem, God used a Jewish woman in Persia named Esther to preserve the Jewish people from being destroyed by a wicked plot. During the second return to Jerusalem, a scribe named Ezra reestablished the law after 70 years in exile. Did they read it to the people who came back so they knew how to live? Yep. He gathered all the people together to listen. During the third return, 6,000 people returned, and Nehemiah rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem in 52 days. That Nehemiah guy was a lot faster than the guys who rebuilt the temple. Yeah, so a total of 58,000 Jews returned from exile to Jerusalem. Now that the temple and walls were completed, there were still more Jews outside the land than inside it. But God was continuing to pursue his evil people, to make them into a holy people, pleasing to him. During the 400 years that took place between the Old and New Testaments, the Greeks began to rule. Why are all these other nations have to rule? Why can't God be the ruler yet? We'll get to that, Finn. Alexander the Great conquered much of the world, and Greek became the common language. It was then that the Septuagint was written, a Greek translation of the Old Testament. There were synagogues, or places to worship the true God everywhere, though many of the non-Jews still hurt the Jews. In 142 B.C., a pig was sacrificed on the altar, which was completely against God's commands, and it caused the Jewish people to revolt. The people were led by a man named Judas Maccabeus and his family. The Jews ruled themselves for a few years, but in 63 B.C., the Romans came in and took over established world peace, a network of roads, and more synagogues. The world was being prepared for the fulfillment of the promise. I'm not so sure about that. Is Jesus going to be the king now and defeat the Romans? In Galatians 4.4, it says, In the fullness of time, God sent his Son. God would send his Son to earth at the perfect time, though it was not in the way the Jewish people expected. Do you think you could have done a better job than those Israelites that we learned about all through the Old Testament? I think so. Do you think you could have stayed true to God and not worshipped idols, 
even if all your friends and family were doing it? Well... Do you think you could have been completely pleasing to God? Actually, maybe not. Every time I try to obey my mom and dad and be kind to my sisters, I just keep messing up. I don't bow down to any golden statues, but I don't always want to share my coral Legos with Brooke. Or clean up my room when my mom asks me to. I struggle to obey too, Finn. I sometimes speak unkindly to my husband and children, and I definitely don't always trust God when I get sick or I don't know what to do. But now we get to learn about a man who lived a perfect life and pleased God the Father in every way. Yes, we get to talk about Jesus now. Even though Jesus was born as a baby, he's existed throughout all eternity. He is the Son of God and helped to create the universe. His time on earth was only the beginning of his humanity, or being a human. In John 1.14, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The book of Matthew traces Jesus' ancestry back to Abraham. Luke traces it back to Adam and Eve. Jesus was in the kingly line of David through Joseph. Because God said we would have a king on David's throne, right? Right. Jesus was born in the tribe of Judah in a town called Bethlehem. Do you remember way back when we talked about the man named Judah? What was his blessing from his father Jacob? Oh, that people would obey. And he had a scepter to rule forever. The king was coming, but this king didn't come like the kings we talked about last week. Jesus was born in a stable, the place where they kept animals, to poor parents, and was fully dependent on his mom and dad. So he didn't wear a crown or use a scepter? Not when he came to earth this time. When Jesus was 12 years old, he was talking to the big guys, the teachers of the law, and asking questions. They even asked him questions. The first recorded words of Jesus are, I must be about my father's business. Yet he still obeyed his parents. He learned obedience and grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. Have you ever gone to your school and the teachers decided to sit down in your classroom and have you teach them? That's just silly. Jesus was wise, but never prideful. At age 30, Jesus was baptized by a man named John the Baptist. And God said, This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert, but didn't sin. Soon after, he cleansed the temple by kicking out the money changers and sellers. He made a whip and shouted at the people, You have made my father's house into a den of robbers. Yeah, because he wanted the people to be able to go to the temple to worship God. Right. This was all in preparation for the ministry he was about to do. 
When Jesus talked to God, he always called God Father. No one in the Old Testament had ever done that before. He began to display his works and preached and did miracles in Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. He had great power and taught with power and was ready to deal with sin. One time, when a lame man was lowered through the roof where Jesus was teaching, people wanted to see Jesus heal the man. But instead, Jesus said something like, Your sins are forgiven, so you will know my power. Get up! The purposes of the miracles were to show his words were true. Not to give people something fun to watch. Right. He had power over nature, sickness, sin, Satan, and death. There was a big difference between the religious leaders and Jesus. His greatest words of judgment were on the scribes and Pharisees, those who were in charge of helping people to keep the laws. Many of them thought they were better than the people they taught, and they heaped the laws on people's backs so that they would never feel like they could keep them, as well as the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees cared more about people noticing how well they kept the laws than about loving God with all their hearts. But wasn't the most important commandment to love God with all their hearts and mind and strength so they weren't really keeping the law? That's right, Finn. And they hated that the people were just as amazed at Jesus' words as his works. The words of Jesus were like a cool spray of water on a people who were thirsty to truly know God. But some people saw Jesus as a means to get rid of the Roman authority which held them captive. They liked seeing Jesus' miracles like when he fed more than 5,000 people with only five loaves of bread and two fish. But they didn't always want to accept his teaching. In John chapter 6, Jesus had just finished healing some people, and a crowd followed him to a mountainside. Jesus looked up and saw the large crowd coming toward him. So he said to his disciple Philip, Where can we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip. He already knew what he was going to do. Jesus is so funny sometimes. It's like when my dad takes out an algae cookie and acts like he won't give one to me and Brooke and River too. But then he always does. Philip answered him, Suppose we were able to buy enough bread for each person to have just a bite. That would take more than half a year's pay. Another of his disciples spoke up. It was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He said, Here is a boy with five small loaves of barley bread. He also has two small fish. The kind of fish people eat, not yellow tang fish. But how far will that go in such a large crowd? Then Jesus took the loaves and gave thanks. He handed out the bread to those who were seated. He gave them as much as they wanted, and he did the same with the fish. The people saw the sign that Jesus did. Then they began to say, This must be the prophet who is supposed to come into the world. 
But Jesus knew that they planned to come and force him to be their king. So he went away again to a mountain by himself. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he was setting up his sermon that he was going to preach. The next day, the people found Jesus and were ready for breakfast when Jesus gave his bread of life talk. Jesus told them that they were only following him because he had given them food. Then they asked him, What does God want from us? What works does he want us to do? Jesus answered, God's work is to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, What sign will you give us? What will you do so that we can see it and believe you? Long ago our people ate the manna in the desert. Jesus said to them, It's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven. It's my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven. He gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. My Father wants all who look to the Son and believe in him to have eternal life. I will raise them up on the last day. The people were confused because they thought they knew Jesus' parents and that he didn't come down from heaven. How could they eat Jesus? Right. Many of the people said, This is a hard saying, and just left him. What? Rather than trying to understand? Jesus said to his disciples, What about you? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus then ministered mostly to the disciples. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, Jesus became popular again. Many Jews who denied Jesus started believing. It was then that the religious leaders began to take action against Jesus. Oh no, this is the awful part. But it's also the best part, Finn. We'll talk about what happened to Jesus next time. But what did you notice about God in our stories today? God didn't forget about the people, even all those different nations were in charge. And even though Jesus was powerful enough to raise people from the dead, he didn't let the people make him the kind of king they wanted. He obeyed his father. And even though we weren't there to taste the bread Jesus multiplied, we can understand what it really means for Jesus to be the bread of life. Everything our bodies and hearts need to be satisfied and right with God. But it will still be fun to draw. All that bread and Jesus multiplied. I can't wait to see it next time, Finn. Okay, I better hit the road, Happy Ted. See ya, boys and girls.